DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we discuss the letters of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me. It's wonderful to be with you, Chris. We're continuing our conversations on the letters of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. And the letter that we're talking about today is, again, she's talking to a good friend, Madame Ungles. We have gotten to know her. But in this one, Elizabeth talks about a subject we really don't want to talk about, doesn't she? Yes, she, in fact, she talks about death. And that's, it's an interesting thing, any spirituality, it's a hard thing to talk about, but any spirituality that that doesn't deal with death isn't really worth anybody's time, because that's, that's one of the big questions or riddles in our lives. And we'll see in the course of this letter, God has an answer for death. Our job is to be open to this truth that God has spoken. Jesus has risen from the dead. And death does not have the last word over us, but we do need to pass through it. And there's a way to pass through it. And Elizabeth helps uh, Madame Angles find that way. It's important to, as you go through this, uh, Madame Angles is the, I believe she's the sister-in-law to Father Angles. Canon, Canon Angles is a, a, a priest friend who has been in Elizabeth's life I think from the very beginning, I'm, I'm not sure whether he baptized her, but shortly after her baptism, he's coming over to the, the family's house for dinner. Somehow the Cates family and the Angles family have big roles in each other's lives all the way through. Canon Angles is the one that Elizabeth first discloses her religious vocation to. She says, I'm going to be a nun someday. So very early on, when she went to Carmel, uh, she began to write. Uh, Madame Angles, uh, the sister-in-law. Madame Angles was in not in an easy marriage. It wasn't an awful marriage, but it wasn't an easy marriage, and her health wasn't good. But what's curious is, even though this letter is about death, and I I'm pretty sure I should check this out, but I'm pretty sure Madame Angles will actually outlive Elizabeth of the Trinity, eventually enter a religious community. I think she really enters the Visitation Sisters and dies as a nun. Her husband will die, and she will be left a widow sometime after Elizabeth's death. Uh, in her widowhood, she decides to become a nun. And so that's kind of the life story of this person that Elizabeth's writing right now. In this particular letter, we find that Madame Angles is about to have surgery. There is an operation. It's right before Lent. So Elizabeth writes her and lets her know that the whole community is praying for her. But then she addresses, brings out the fear of what 
you know, maybe is lurking in Madam's heart. Yes, and it's a fear of death and suffering. To Madame Angle, a little before March 8th, 1905. Very dear Madame, before entering the great silence of Lent, our Reverend Mother is allowing me to tell you how much my dear community and I are praying for you. I can understand what apprehensions you must feel in facing an operation. I am asking God to ease them, to calm them himself. The Holy Apostle Paul says that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Thus, we must receive everything as coming directly from that divine hand of our Father who loves us and who, through all trials, pursues his goal to unite us more closely to himself. Dear Madame, launch your soul on the waves of confidence and abandonment and remember that anything that troubles it or throws it into fear does not come from God, for he is the Prince of Peace and he promises that peace to those of goodwill. When you are afraid you have abused his graces, as you say, that is the time to redouble your confidence, for, as the Apostle says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And farther on, I boast of my weaknesses, for then the power of Jesus Christ dwells in me. Our God is rich in mercy because of his immense love. So do not fear the hour we must all pass through. Death, dear madam, is the sleep of the child resting on the heart of its mother. At last the night of exile will have fled forever and we will enter into possession of the inheritance of the saints in light. Saint John of the Cross says we will be judged in love. That corresponds well with the thinking of our Lord, who said to Mary Magdalene, Many sins have been forgiven her, because she has loved much. I often think I will have a very long purgatory, for much will be asked of the one who has received much, and he has been so overwhelmingly generous to his little bride. But she abandons herself to his love, and sings the hymn of his mercies while still on earth. Dear Madame, if we made God increase in our soul every day, think what confidence that would give us to appear one day before his infinite holiness. I think you have found the secret, and that it is indeed that we arrive at this divine goal through renunciation. By that means we die to self in order to leave all the room to God. Do you remember that beautiful passage from the Gospel according to St. John where our Lord says to Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, if one is not born anew, one cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Let us therefore renew ourselves in the interior of our soul. Let us strip off the old and clothe ourselves anew in the image of him who created him. That is done gently and simply by separating ourselves from all that is not God. Then the soul no longer has any fears or desires. Its will is entirely lost in the will of God. And since this is what creates union, it can cry out, I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. Let us pray much for each other during this holy time of Lent. Let us retire to the desert with our master and ask him to teach us to live by his life. I saw Mama, Marguerite, and her dear little Sabeth. It was the last parlor visit until Easter. They find that very long. I know Marie Louise is also expecting a little angel and I recommend her particularly to God. Remember me to your dear ones. I'm writing a little note in reply to Monsieur Le Chanoine and as a poor Carmelite, I'm being so bold as to entrust it to you to deliver to him whenever you have a chance. I hope that is not being indiscreet. Adieu, dear Madame. Courage and confidence. I kiss you as I love you. Sir Marie Elizabeth of the Trinity, RCI. In this letter, Madame Angles is dealing with a couple fears all at once. She's dealing with the fear of death itself. She doesn't want to die on the operating table. But she's probably dealing with the fear of the physical sufferings that this operation is going to undergo. You're dealing at a time where anesthesia and stuff isn't like it is today. But I think even more, I think she's afraid that she's not ready to meet God, that she has not lived the life of holiness that gives her confidence to stand before God. And Elizabeth redirects Madame Engels away from what she do, has done or what she hasn't do, done to what God is doing. And she invites Madame Engels to start living her life now in accord with what God is doing now. So rather, you know, you go to confession and you've repented, you've done. Now it's time to respond to what God is doing. He's taking the initiative. His love is immense. And our job is to respond to that beating ourselves up over the would have, could have, and should have isn't going to help us make progress. What's going to help us make progress is turning our attention, our hearts to him and the incredible work of mercy that he is unfolding right now in our lives and in the world. It is, I want to say, stern. I, it's rare that I think we've heard Elizabeth be so strong, but she she said, when you are afraid, you have abused his graces. Wow. I mean, that's one of the strongest statements I've ever heard her say to someone else. Uh, well, and, but the second part of that is kind of the key. When you're afraid that you have abused his graces, it is time to redouble your confidence in him. In other words, that kind of fear, I think a lot of people have that fear like, 
you know, there's kind of the communion of the saints. Uh, they're in heaven and the communion of sinners. They're the ones who still get to go to confession. And then there's the rest of us. And then there's me. I tried to go to confession, try to be a saint, and I blew it. And so, you know, God doesn't love me anymore because he gave me a second chance and I blew it. That kind of ugly thought is not from God. It robs us of our peace, especially at moments where we're facing severe trials. And we need to renounce that. It's a very dangerous thought. It can lead us right down into the pathway. In fact, it already is a kind of despair. And, and so Elizabeth's counsel here is when you notice that kind of movement in your heart, that's not from God. Renounce it. God, the way he works in your life, he's going to lead you into peace. He's going to lead you out of self-torment. He's going to lead you out of the confusion of sin. He's going to lead you out of, uh, of being compromising your integrity. And he's going to lead you into a place of great peace. He's going to establish you there. In fact, that will become, uh, that's, that's part of her prayer to the Trinity. Uh, she wrote a few, just a few months before she writes this letter. God leads us into peace. And he wants to lead us into peace, not uh, despite death, but right in the midst of it. He's going to lead us. You might think about Psalm 23 here. This is this letter is like a Psalm 23, even though it's not cited. Our good shepherd is guiding us not around the valley of death, but through the valley of death with his rod and his staff. He feeds us not outside the valley of death, but right in the midst of it. We don't fear any evil. He gives us a banquet and gives us an overflowing cup. And our enemies aren't absent. They're there. They can see us taking part of the banquet of the love of God. Uh, and we can see them, everything, everybody's right there, but we fear no evil for we are made to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. And that's the basic message of this. Yes, this is a dark valley. Yes, this is a difficult time, but follow him. He will always guide you in peace. And, and so if you have fear, renounce the fear and trust in his mercy. There really is an abandonment of fear. I mean, that you have to abandon the fear. And I mean, I think, what is it she says next? It's probably one of the most lovely descriptions of death I've ever heard. So do not fear the hour we must all pass through. Death dear madam, is the sleep of the child resting on the heart of its mother. At last the night of exile will have fled forever and we will enter into possession of the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow, that is stunning, isn't it? Yes, think about all the peaceful images, a child resting in its arms, uh, the inheritance of the saints in, in light, leaving a journey. The journey ends when? When you're home. And so it's a journey through this dark valley to home. It's a resting in the arms with that complete confidence and trust that God is in control and he's going to protect us and we have nothing to fear. The way to enter into peace is to go by peace. 
if we try to go to God by fear, uh, and I'm not talking about the gift of fear that comes from the Holy Spirit that teaches us to respect and reverence God for his total otherness, but I am talking about the kind of fearfulness uh, that I'm not doing it right, that I'm not going to make it, that I'm going to blow it, or that I already have blown it too much. All that kind of fear, it's completely useless. God is leading us home. He's leading us to a place of safety and security where the journey ends. He's leading us into a, a beautiful inheritance with those who've gone before us in the faith. And for us to go there, we need to abandon our fears and start trusting God. And, and that's the pathway that to arrive at peace, we must go by a way of peace. Fear is not going to get us to that destination. Trust and confidence in God establishes us in peace now and leads us even through the valley of death into a great peace. So it's a very powerful thing. And, and now, though, we get to a little bit of a problem and, and she does this shift for us. And there are a lot of people who kind of go, yes, 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 to everything we just said. But the question comes up, what is confidence in God? And I would like to distinguish what it means to live by confidence in God from being presumptuous that no matter what we do in this life, it doesn't matter. That's not confidence in God. Confidence in God is distinguished by the love that we choose to live by, even in the face of our weakness and our failures. To choose to live by love even though we're weak and we fail a thousand times and it's embarrassing to get up and we feel humiliated, but we're going to choose to live by love again and again and again. That this inner decision of heart to live by love, that in the end is what having confidence in God is all about. Having confidence in God then isn't this kind of thing where I have confidence in God that no matter what I do, he's going to forgive me. Therefore, it doesn't matter what I do. No, it's the opposite. I have confidence in God and his immense love. And because I have confidence in God and his immense love, I believe he's teaching me to love right now, even as I'm failing. And so I'm going to persevere in trying to love, even though I've failed a thousand times. And this is, that's why this next little section is so key. St. John of the Cross says we will be judged in love. That corresponds well with the thinking of our Lord, who said to Mary Magdalene, Many sins have been forgiven her, because she has loved much. I often think I will have a very long purgatory, for much will be asked of the one who has received much, and he has been so overwhelmingly generous to his little bride. But she abandons herself to his love, and sings the hymn of his mercies while still on earth. So do you see that? In this confidence, it's not that we're not aware that we can sin or that we do sin, but that awareness, rather than discouraging us, rather than causing us to kind of fail in our courage to step up once again, rather this confidence that Elizabeth is writing about, the only way, when you see the immensity of God's love and you allow yourself to be confident, the only proper way to respond 
to live out this confidence that the immensity of his love gives us is to try yet again to love again. And in the end, this is what God looks at. This is what establishes us in peace. Holiness consists in our love, this love that comes from God. And that's why St. John the Cross says, at the end of the day, in the evening time of this life, God is going to be looking at our love. And he, he judges our love in accord with his love because he's manifest his love to us. Have we been confident in what he's revealed to us? If we are confident, even if we fail, that work of love is still operating as long as we hope and trust in what he's doing in us. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Yet she seems to offer a spiritual exercise, not only for Madame, but also for all of us. If we made God increase in our soul every day, think what confidence that would give us to appear one day before His infinite holiness. 
I think you have found the secret, and that it is indeed that we arrive at this divine goal through renunciation. By that means we die to self in order to leave all the room to God. Do you remember that beautiful passage from the Gospel according to St. John, where our Lord says to Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, if one is not born anew, one cannot see the kingdom of God. Let us therefore renew ourselves in the interior of our soul. Let us strip off the old and clothe ourselves anew in the image of him who created him. That is done gently and simply by separating ourselves from all that is not God. Then the soul no longer has any fears or desires. Its will is entirely lost in the will of God. And since this is what creates union, it can cry out, I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. She's showing us how that's accomplished, isn't she? Yes. So if we look at this letter and we draw kind of a large circle and, and talk about confidence and peace, and then we draw a more interior circle and talk about love, and then we draw the next circle, we would need to talk about renunciation. We're circling closer and closer. We renounce things in our lives to make space for God. This next ring of letting God increase in us requires on our part the constant work of renunciation. There are things that the Lord asks us to give up. And when we give them up, it creates space for him in our lives. And when we don't, we don't allow him that space in our lives. The more space we give him, the more he can teach us to love. The less space we give him, it's not that he doesn't want to teach us to love. He wants to teach us to love. We just haven't given him the space to do it. And so the smallest acts of renunciation, instead of binging out on Netflix, turning it off and praying a rosary uh, with your family, or instead of kind of indulging in your favorite activity, what it might, whatever it might be on a Saturday putting yourself in maybe a more uncomfortable situation where you go talk to that family member who other people kind of strain to be around and you're, you've decided that you're going to just be present and make that family member feel loved today. These little small acts of renunciation, fasting, staying up a little bit later to do your nighttime prayers, waking up a little earlier in the morning for your, to start your day with prayer. These little acts of renunciation where we renounce what's comfortable and convenient and easy for us, when we renounce that, we make space for God. God is love. When we only encounter God when it's comfortable and convenient, when we only encounter God in those things that satisfy us and that we indulge in, if that's the only place we allow love in our lives, that's what it means to to encounter God, we're kind of limiting him. Love is more than what's comfortable or convenient 
or what's satisfying or what's self-indulging. Love is much more than that. Love wants us to meet him on his own ground, the ground of self-gift and self-sacrifice. That's where, if we go a little bit further, so the idea is that we increase God's presence in us by making acts of renunciation that free us for, for his loving presence, that open up his loving presence. As you said, if we made God increase in our soul every day, I think what confidence would it give us to appear before his infinite holiness? I think you have found the secret, and that is indeed that we arrive at this divine goal through renunciation. By that means, we die to self in order to leave all the room to God. Do you remember what the Lord said to Nicodemus? Truly I say to you, if one is not born anew, one cannot see the kingdom of God. Let us therefore renew ourselves in the interior of our soul. Let us strip off the old man and clothe ourselves anew in the image of him who created him. And so all of this kind of gets to this movement of renouncing so that we can receive Christ and his power inside us. He's reproducing his mystery. And this, this was in Elizabeth's prayer to the Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit right now in our lives wants to fashion in our hearts an image and likeness of Jesus Christ so that his mystery is renewed in our lives so that when people encounter us, they're encountering Jesus. But it requires in our part stripping away our old way of life and making space for this new way of life. And, and this involves a, a death uh, to self. And now within this renunciation, sometimes we think that we can hurry up the steps and just seize holiness by kind of like these violent, aggressive movements in our spiritual life where we just do it all at once and get it done with. This journey of confidence, this journey of love is, is not an act of that kind of aggression. It's not violent. Again, we started with the, the idea we're headed to a place of peace. The only way to go there is by peace. And so the movement of renunciation that we're to follow, the movement of love that we we're to follow, she characterizes as this is done gently and simply by separating ourselves from all that is not God. I think this is one of the the great principles of the spiritual life is a good spiritual director helps people move gently, make acts of renunciation gently and simply rather than like white knuckling, that white knuckling and hey, I'm going to try to fight this off. Usually that ends in disaster anyway, but behind all of that lurks a lack of confidence in God's love. The soul that's white knuckling it in the midst of renunciation hasn't really contemplated the presence of God, this immensity of love that's crashing in on us right now. When we are receptive and open to that, that immensity of his love, renunciation becomes something that almost secondary, it becomes much easier to make because you're aware of how much you've been loved, are being loved right now. That makes letting go of things easy. When we are fixated on proving to ourselves that we're not as bad as we, we think we are because we can deal with this thing, this sin, and if we just try hard enough, that always leads into disaster because we can't do it by ourselves. 
But when we turn to the Lord, we beg him to unveil his presence for us, show us the greatness of his love. We might not feel anything. We might not have any new insight. You can believe it with every instance of your life that God is giving you the grace in that moment to gently and lovingly let go of this thing. As long as you keep your eyes fixed on him, you'll have all the inner strength you need. Oh, now we have Peter getting out of the boat, don't we? Getting out of the boat and walking on the water. Hmm, that's a good image. (laughs) Well, I've always thought, Anthony, the thing that wasn't so much that Peter necessarily doubted. I think he got out and he looked and he gazed in his face, but it was all the other people in the boat who were saying, what are you doing? Stop. Whoa. That made him turn his gaze. Mm. And, and then he started to sink. Do you think that is in some ways that's our fear is fed with that sometimes what other people and what the world and all these other things that cause us to, to move our gaze. I think that's kind of the great battle of the spiritual life is not to be distracted by the lesser things, to let ourselves be fascinated by God's love. Elizabeth here says the soul no longer has any fears or desires. Its will is entirely lost in the will of God. And since this is what creates union, it can cry out, I no longer live, I, but Christ lives in me. And she ends with this counsel, let us retire to the desert with our master and ask him to teach us to live by his light. And just like you were saying with St. Peter, what she's saying here is, is keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Choose to live by his life in you. And his life is a life that is laid down out of love for others. That's the pattern that we follow. And we do this by, by this simple, gentle act of trust in his love and his goodness and his belief. And when we confront sin, we confront things that are difficult to let go of our, in our lives, inordinate attachments that seem so overpowering. And we feel so ashamed and humiliated over. The secret here is to trust and to look towards Jesus and to keep our eyes fixed on him, just like you were saying. Peter needed to stay fixed on Jesus. Uh, He began to go underwater, have mercy on me. And Jesus lifted him up, and that will be the same way for us. Not even the waters of death can drown us out. He is Lord over those waters. Final thought, Anthony? I think Elizabeth of the Trinity today in this letter is speaking to those who right now are especially confronting scary moments in their lives. And as we're recording this right now, um, uh, I'm very mindful of people up at the campfire in paradise. I uh, preached a mission up there uh, last Christmas. They have, the whole parish has lost everything. At this time, the death count is continuing to rise, and, and it could be in the hundreds before this is all done. It's very, very scary uh, for a lot of people. And at the, the same time, I have been in touch with different members of the parish, a deacon and his wife, Donna, Deacon Ray Helgeson and his wife, Donna. And what strikes me, what touches me so deeply is their absolute abandonment and trust in the love of God. 
They're not worried about what they've lost or what they're going to do next. They are have placed themselves entirely in the hand of God. This is St. Thomas More Parish in Paradise. They have chosen to live this pathway that Elizabeth has laid out here, this pathway of confidence, this pathway of peace. Here, where I, I live, I, I live in Southern California, not far from uh, my house, the Woolsey Fire has spread all throughout uh, Thousand Oaks and Malibu. Uh, a lot of people have lost everything. And the great mo spiritual movement they're being invited to make is this one that Deacon Ray and his wife Donna have made, this movement of total confidence and peace in God, even in the midst of losing everything. Sadly enough, just prior to this fire, there was a horrible shooting at a, a restaurant, and a sheriff lost his life last night. They had the uh, vigil funeral service for him, and his family has lost everything. Jesus is inviting them in the face of, the, of death and evil and sin in this world the nihilism of our culture, to make this act of confidence in his love, that his love is more powerful even than this. So if someone listening to this today is also facing a grave operation or the loss of all things or even their own death, Elizabeth is your friend. Elizabeth is praying for you. You can ask her and she will be praying with you no matter what it is you're facing. And what is she praying for you to receive? She wants you to make this act of love and confidence in God the Father. And she wants you to live by the life of Christ Jesus that is already in you. And she wants you to make space for God. And she wants you to stay fixated on the immensity of his love so that you will be able to love no matter what happens. The power of the love of God is more powerful than all the rest. And at the end of the day, it's what makes us most human. It's, it's what makes us thrive even as we die. Chris, I thank you for the opportunity to have shared this letter and talked about it with you. And, and I pray for all those today who are in great distress that they will find this pathway of confidence and love. Thank you so much, Anthony. God bless you. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. We'd like to take this moment, too, to thank Miriam Gutierrez, who provided the voice for St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.